You're listening to the Kindling Rhythms podcast by Restore Houston Church. In John chapter 21, Jesus built a kindling fire for his friend Peter, who was at a low place in his life. His shame and failures were defining everything for him. But Jesus will not let shame and failure have the last word in Peter's life. And in an act of love, Jesus built a kindling fire to serve as a meeting place between himself and Peter. A broken Peter meets with Jesus around this fire, and Jesus gently restores Peter, showing him love, giving him grace, and empowering him to live the life that Jesus had called him to. In this beautiful moment, the whole direction of Peter's life changes. Kindling Rhythm strives to follow in the tradition of that same kindling fire that Jesus built for Peter. By creating a meeting space where your shame and failure give way to the love of Jesus. Where grace restores even the most broken parts of your life and you can find rest knowing that he deeply cares for you. May you also, just like Peter, find him in this space. I was recording, so I'm going to actually leave that on the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Meeting Houses. This is Justin. Phil. And welcome back to our very first week of Advent. So I'm excited. I know it's a little bit of a different Advent for us than most of us are used to. Um, but we do have some things I'm really excited about that we are going to be rolling out to help us. So the goal was, okay, can we celebrate Advent in a way that's safe and socially distanced, but also helps us feel... Um, connected with each other and very much like we're still participating in the season of Advent. So um, by now you've probably gotten one of these um, from us. So these are Advent candles. If you've never celebrated with Advent candles before, that's okay. Candles are usually incorporated into um, the Christian tradition of Advent one way or another. So most of you have probably at one point or another been to a candlelight service on Christmas Eve. Um, and so candles are a big part of, of the Advent season. Um, and the reason being is, well, there's lots of reasons and there's lots of different traditions. But um, one of the ways that I think of the importance of candles um, in the Advent season is lighting this candle represents the light of Jesus, right? It represents um, the hope that we have that... Um, the hope that we have that Jesus has come and that this light has entered our darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And so when we light the Advent candles, I think part of what we're doing is remembering that hope, remembering and keeping that hope alive for us. Um, and so so this year, we're, you know, we're not going to be able to do a um, candlelight service like we might usually. Mm -hmm. um, but I still wanted us to be able to come together as a church as safely as we could and light candles that are um, I don't know, reminding us of the hope of Jesus and the light of Jesus in our life. And so um, these are Advent candles. Different Christian traditions celebrate them differently um, and have somewhat different meanings, but the ideas um, really behind it are the same. So um, Anglicanism, Catholicism, uh, Lutherans, and Presbyterians all have um, an Advent and an Advent wreath, and then some Baptist traditions do as well. And the, each of these candles represent a different piece of the Advent story. So this week, uh, that piece that they represent is hope. So um, my encouragement for you guys would be, the, the hope would be um, to light your candles while you're doing your meeting houses. 
and while you're watching the sermons together and you don't have to like it's not like some you don't have to have like a candle lighting ceremony or like sit there with the candle like don't get weird with your candles like it doesn't have to be like you know um we don't have to like we're not doing anything anything weird but the idea was hey throughout the week um it's comforting for me to know that the people in my church are lighting candles representing the hope that we have in jesus um and so on wednesday nights we're doing it on thursday nights on saturday and then on sunday and so um throughout the week my hope is that it would just feel um encouraging to know that um even though as a church we're still kind of scattered about um through social distancing we are in fact um keeping the hope of jesus alive together with one another so that's what these candles are each um each meeting house session i'm also going to prepare um just some advent reflections so this week's candle like i said is on hope and so um if you're in your meeting houses this wednesday thursday sunday or saturday um we'll reflect a little bit more on hope um, and i would invite you guys to pray um for hope hope for our world hope for um healing hope that the light of jesus would shine through um, in the dark places that um, we see in the world around us so that's what that's what the candles were for um and i'm hoping that it helps us feel connected to one another in this advent season um that being said let's talk about joseph so we just kicked off the new series through their eyes um so we're gonna be looking at four of the main characters uh not main characters but some of the main characters in the advent i guess jesus would be the main character um right but there's there's these other people that are observing this first christmas um principally mary and joseph uh and the wise men and the shepherds and there are other people in the story like elizabeth and herod and others who are also observing this but um i one, it would be a bit weird to just do a whole sermon on Herod. I mean, well, especially because his observation is kind of yeah. not the observation that, <laughs> like, that would be a really dark, slightly sermon. different. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, what we're really doing is actually kind of going back and looking at what did um, I don't know these first observers of Christmas who were um, experiencing this first Christmas. Like, what were they seeing? What were they experiencing? What were they feeling? Um, how was the first Christmas shaping them? And so um, this week we are looking at Joseph, who is the earthly father uh, of Jesus, and what it was like to experience the first Christmas through his eyes. Um, so as we mentioned in the sermon, uh, Joseph is a, a, a righteous man, which is not just an adjective. It is an adjective, but it's not just an adjective describing Joseph. Like it's not saying like Joseph was a righteous man and a tall man or... A handsome man like it's not just describing like who joseph was but but righteous man was actually a, a title um that existed in joseph's religious culture um and it placed him in a very unique kind of uh position within his culture and in his his society and so being a righteous man um the expectation was that joseph um would observe the law um, mainly the law that's written in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy um, meticulously. So he would have had um, little bands of scripture probably wrapped around his arm. Um, you know, we talked about in Deuteronomy, and God says, hey, take my word and bind it to your arms and wear it on your foreheads. Like Joseph would have taken that literally um, and actually had um, 
scripture that was that he could that was literally a part of his wardrobe and so um joseph is he enjoys a a a privileged position in the culture that he's in he's well respected um he's one of those people that um has observed the law meticulously and carefully um and so he's he's one of those people like if you wanted advice you would go talk to someone like joseph um if you wanted you know some sort of um, if you were trying to like apply for a job and you needed a reference, like having someone like Joseph be a mm. reference and say like, yes, this person's character is upstanding and, um, that would go a long way for you. And so, um, the first Christmas really presents Joseph with, with a, with a really tough situation. And it, and Matthew is wanting us to see that by the way, we're not reading between the lines. Matthew, who is a Jew is writing to his Jewish audience. And so when he tells us, Matthew, or when he tells us Joseph was a righteous man, he's painting this picture of Joseph has this situation that he now has to really wrestle with. What's the, like, how do I follow God in this situation? Because it's redefining for me everything I thought I knew about what it means to follow God. And so um, we're going to, we're going to, Phil and I are going to have a, a bit more of a discussion on Joseph. So there's a couple of different things that um, I think are, are worth unpacking. Um, but for us in our meeting houses this evening, um, I just want us to wrestle with um, what would it look like to, to like Joseph, to wrestle with um, being open to the new ways that God is working and moving. And so um, Joseph's, Joseph is in this position where he knows the religious laws in his culture very well. And his fiance has turned up pregnant. Um, and Joseph knows he's not the father. And so right off the bat, Joseph has this, he has to, if he's going to maintain his status as a righteous man, follow the law. And the law says to take Mary um, onto the doorstep of her father to condemn her publicly. Um, There was a testing of bitter waters that they would do. We're not going to go into all of that, but basically there was all kinds of um, customs and practices around trying to figure out, is Mary guilty of adultery and who is she guilty with? Um, And so... For Joseph to maintain his his status as a righteous man, he has to follow to the letter um, what the law says to do in this kind of situation. And so Joseph, right off the bat, is faced with this very agonizing decision um, of what do I do? Um, how do I respond to the situation I've been presented with? And so um, when it tells us in verse 20 that as he was considering these things, or as he pondered these things, depending on what translation you're reading, um, that word considered is is an okay word, but it doesn't, I don't think it communicates quite like the emotional weight mm. of what Joseph is deciding here. Joseph is essentially deciding, do I forsake everything I have built my life on? Everything I thought I knew about God, everything that I have learned, um, do I give all of that up to protect Mary, right? Do I give all of that up to um, not humiliate or condemn her publicly? And so even before Joseph has the the angel visit him, Joseph decides to divorce her quietly, which even in that act alone, um, he would already be giving up his title as righteous man um, if he, because he's no longer following the letter of the law. And so um, there were some commentaries, some Jewish commentaries that would have said there was another law that would allow 
um, Joseph in this situation to divorce Mary quietly, but already he's moving himself into um, giving up his own status as a righteous man to protect Mary. Um, but where this really plays out is after he gets the visit from the angel who says that Mary is in fact pregnant with the son of God. Um, Joseph now to marry her will completely give up this title of righteous man. Um, and so in, in this moment, Joseph has to decide, do I let go of what I thought it meant to follow God and how I thought I was supposed to follow God and what I thought the law was requiring me to do? And do I choose mercy and compassion here? Um, because for Joseph, it's a life-altering decision. Um, and so I want to, in our meeting houses this week, I, I just, I want us to wrestle with this, right? Because like I said in the sermon, I think, I think most of us fall into one of two categories. Some of us, and I would put myself in this category, probably fall more on the Joseph side. Like we spend an enormous amount of time reading scripture, you know, 10 to 15 hours of my week are probably devoted to theology. Reading it, um, that was our speaker turning off. Um, <laughs> reading it, understanding it, trying to dissect it. But then if you add even like the, the spiritual conversations that I have with people on top of that, like a good 20 to 30 hours of my week are probably related to spiritual conversations, spiritual readings, and all of that. And yet I think that sometimes um, the more we know, the less we really do know. And, and so for those of us who spend a lot of time, like have had a whole lot of church background and a whole lot of understanding, um, we can very much, like Joseph, be at risk for missing what God is doing redemptively and restoratively in the world um, because we think we've got it all figured out and we've got this sort of expectation of this is how it's always been done. Um, and sometimes we can miss what God is doing. Uh, on the flip side of that, some of us are on the opposite side of Joseph uh, and that we don't think we, have an, we don't know enough yet. And so not knowing enough keeps us sometimes from I don't know, sharing the hope of Jesus with a coworker in a conversation or maybe saying something in our, for some of us, maybe just saying something in our meeting house about how here's, how, here's something that I'd like to think about with this text that we're reading um, is a really big deal. It's a scary thing. Um, and I think one of the, the, I don't know, some of the hope that we get um, from the story of Joseph is, is that it's not necessarily always about how much you know. It's also about your willingness to be open to what God is doing and to be obedient to what God is doing, even if there are situations um, where that might go against how you thought God operated or what you thought God wanted or was expecting. Um, and so I want us to wrestle with that this evening in our meeting houses. Um, if you're interested in having more of the discussion, Phil and I plan to talk about and, the, and where you can go in, in the discussion, to, the times you can go to define um, these different topics are, are on the screen right here. But um, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, just some of the conspiracy theories that are going around, um, right? Like our, our, just, our world is full of conspiracy theories right now. Um, but every Christmas, there's always a, a plethora of articles and blog posts and even sometimes very learned and famous people saying, well, I think the, the virgin birth was just a cover-up. Um, clearly, Mary was hiding how and why she got pregnant or somebody didn't want somebody to know something um, or that Christianity felt like it needed a credibility boost. And so, you know, they just came up with this whole virgin birth, Jesus is God thing. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about that if that's something you wrestle with. Um, it's something I have wrestled with. I think at some point all of us probably wrestle with the virgin birth. 
um, a little bit and what is how, what's the place of miracles and 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 all of this in the story so we're going to talk a little bit more about how do we address some of that um, and then we're also going to explore um, the human side of Jesus so um, I think most of us as evangelicals were very comfortable with saying Jesus is God um, but for some of us we we also can downplay maybe that he was also 100% human both fully God and both fully man and so one does not take away from the other in other words like it's it's easy for us to think well Jesus was was God so how much could he really have been tempted or how much could he really have suffered or how much could he really have right like all of these situations that Jesus faced how much how discouraged could he have really been he's God like he knows it's all going to work out in the end right like and so um there I think we do ourselves a little discredit sometimes by um I don't know, downplaying the humanness of Jesus. I don't think we do it on purpose, um, but I do think that sometimes we aren't good with wrestling um, with that tension of both being fully God and fully human uh, and what that means. And so we're going to wrestle with that a little bit. Um, and then we're going to look finally at um, the title that Jesus most often gave himself, which was Son of Man. Um, so this idea that Jesus is God is not something that... so. It's not something that's necessarily clearly evident by Jesus's words himself sometimes. Like Jesus never has this moment where he says, I am God. Um, and yet, when I say it's not clearly evident, like it's still very obvious what Jesus is saying. Um, but if we're not care, if we're not, if we don't quite understand um, what some of these titles mean, like son of man, son of God, um, it can feel very easy to let ourselves get distracted and be like, well, was Jesus really God? Like, did somebody make that up later? So I, I remember when I was in college, um, somebody um, who was a skeptic came to me and was like, you know, Jesus never said he was God. I was like, sure he did. Like, and, and so you start flipping through your Bible and you realize like nowhere in there does Jesus actually say, hey, everybody, I am God. Um, and yet um, that's something that is deeply held um, as a Christian belief, I, I think to, to not think Jesus was God is, is actually to, to not have a Christian perspective on who Jesus was. Um, and so that's a huge piece to it. And so we're going to explore a little bit more of um, Son of Man, Son of God. How do these titles kind of play out into who uh, Jesus was? So um, if you're interested in any of those conversations, you can join us for the rest of the podcast. Bye, guys. So let's talk about conspiracy theories. <laughs> let's talk about them. <laughs> I feel like conspiracy theories are like all the rage these days. I don't even feel like I can make a sandwich anymore without somebody saying, oh, the sandwich industry got you. That's what they want you to do. I mean, it used to be like conspiracy theories were like, oh, this one or two things that like your weird uncle believed right or yeah, like, like you at least like delved things. into the internet when you were a teenager and looked up all the <laughs> urban legends yeah. and stuff like that but now it's like 
it's just like it's on the news, like QAnon and all this stuff is like, it's like very yeah in the mainstream to yeah. be, like to know of and right. like believe conspiracy theories. Right. Like, are they really conspiracy anymore if they're mainstream? <laughs> we have to redefine conspiracy theory, but yeah. not surprisingly, I think that's why a lot of people are asking the question: um, Is the virgin birth a cover up in some way? Right. So. I've heard even very famous atheists like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens um, suggest that Mary was just she's trying to like cover up the fact that she was pregnant out of wedlock. And so by telling everybody that she's pregnant with God, that somehow like people were naive enough to be like, oh, uh, OK, it's OK. That's that's OK. Then we're not going to ask any more questions like you're off the hook. Um, <laughs> that's. So so let's talk about that. Like but in all seriousness there are there are people that um do wrestle with okay so um was was the virgin birth something that actually happened was Mary uh did Mary become pregnant by the Holy Spirit um or was this all made up? Yeah, man. Um this this is such a this ties into so many i guess like popular uh adaptations of christian i mean i think when i think of like modern conspiracy theories and just this fascination especially with christian myth right uh i mean look at uh what's it called uh the I'm blanking on the name. The one that uh, Tom Hanks was in uh, about the Holy Grail. Da Vinci Code. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, all these like crazy things that people come up with that are like, well, this is what Jesus actually, he actually had a wife and mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff. And, oh, was Mary really this and that? And they'll claim to use sources they know of and things like that. Um, and really what I see with so many of these really behind all of this, cause I just want to back up and talk about it a little bit generally first is there's a, there's an unwillingness on the people who have these conspiracy theories to take the Bible seriously. Mm. Like they, they won't even consider that it could be a uh, legitimate source a source of history. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like it's really disingenuous a lot of times when people like Richard Dawkins or whatever, yeah. they have a very antagonistic view from the start. And honestly, I have a hard time taking them seriously a lot of times because they, I mean, not only is it just like bad manners to just yeah. be antagonistic to somebody before right. you even start, but like they're not even <laughs> trying to give it a, like a worthy chance to, to, say its own point like they've so blinded themselves to the fact that it could possibly be true that they are already assuming that it's not and so they can't have an honest conversation with people right because they're already just assuming that you're you know insane mm. for even talking about it mm. yeah and so they're like i don't have time for you you yeah. believe ridiculous right. things right? right and it's like okay but i'm not gonna take i i don't know even when i wasn't like I, I'd say Christian like I am now, I still didn't really like people like Richard Dawkins because yeah. of the fact that, okay, you, you're popular because you make people feel smarter and feel more like, right. uh, 
confident that, oh, they're all, everybody else is just insane. And look how smart and advanced and evolved we are past right. these right. medieval and ancient right. beliefs. Right. Um, and I think that you're never going to be able to read and intellectually, emotionally, you know, uh, honestly talk about these things until you're willing to see like, okay, what can I understand? Let me try, whether I believe this or not, let me try to actually understand what this is saying first, right. rather than assuming that it's already wrong. Right. Because you're never going to understand the themes and the symbolism and the connections that the Bible and these stories and these authors are making. Right. If you're already throwing out all their credibility to begin with. Right. Right. And so I think that's a really important place to start yeah. when talking about these things that yeah. if I'm going to assume from the beginning that there's no possible way that they could be right. And now I'm trying to find out, okay, I know this isn't true. So what was really going on? Well, then how are you ever going to even begin to like really figure out right. what was going on? Right. <laughs> because you're right. already throwing out a huge chunk of the possibilities. Right. I mean, right. if you're just, I mean, if you're a scientist, right. Mm. The, one of the biggest mistakes that's always comes when coming up with new scientific theories is assuming that something can't be the answer. Mm, mm. I mean, when Einstein or uh, I just read a biography about Robert Oppenheimer, you know, in developing the atomic bomb and about to his life is there were so many discoveries that were were halted and were pushed back because of the assumption that something couldn't be possible, mm. that something couldn't be true. Right. And then they did more tests, more theories and... Right. Oh, look, like we were wrong. We were wrong. Yeah. And so if you leave yourself unopen to these possibilities, you're not going to even do the due diligence right. to figure out whether right. you could possibly right. find more out about it. Right. Yeah. And that, so I, I have a <clears throat> uh, extended family member that knows I'm a pastor. They're not a Christian. And so they, they particularly... Um, they, they like to have arguments. I don't think they're really actually curious, but one of the things like they, they would bring up is, oh, well, there's these other gospels that say that Jesus was married and that, you know, um, Mary didn't give birth um, through a miracle. Um, and it's, and it, it's, the question really becomes is, well, why are those gospels any more historically credible than the ones we have in our Bible? Um, right. Like you're just, cause you're it, giving, cause it tells them what they want to hear. Right. Like you're just, you're kind of, you're picking and choosing which like historical text that you then say is most credible and most, most historically accurate. And so, um, but even, even still, um, you're left with the question of, well, did, could Mary have made it up? Like, would they have made it up? So you're, you're really asking two questions. There's two questions that are being asked here. I think the first is, is, is Mary making it up is, is to try and get out of the fact that she's pregnant. Um, or did the early church make it up because they needed more credibility? You know, you had these church rulers that were trying to come to power. And so they were like, <clears throat> how do we, how do we convince people to follow us? let's say that Jesus was born by a miracle and that he was God, that'll do the trick. And then, so they kind of came up with the virgin birth as a way to manipulate naive people into following this new cult religion. Um, and I think both theories have both theories, I think just demonstrate kind of a lack of cultural understanding of what's happening there. 
Um, so the analogy I gave in the blog post I wrote yesterday was if you're Mary and you're pregnant, um, that's already like the religious culture mm-hmm. and the religious laws in the ancient Near East, like you're already in really hot water. Um, right? Like the law is saying you are to be publicly condemned and shamed and then killed. Um, right? Like there's, there's a lot of, now the Romans were in charge at this point. So they had eliminated a lot of like the local religious executions and things like that, um, to some degree, but either, either if way, they were there. right. If they were there, <laughs> um, but you essentially have a religious culture that is not going to look favorably on this at all. Then, so the response for Mary, so, and this is something that I've heard Richard Dawkins suggest is, well, Mary was like, well, it's okay guys. Cause it's, it's God. Like, and then everybody, like everybody was supposed to just be cool about it. That's the exact opposite of what happened. Like that would have got Mary in hotter water. It would put her under more screw. Like it's one thing to be pregnant out of wedlock. It's another thing to be, pre- say you were pregnant with God. Uh, that just like that would have added a whole nother level of like hot water that you were in. Uh, and so you would not have used that as an even reason uh, to try and get out of any kind of hot water you were in. And the analogy I gave, it's like if you got caught stealing something and, you know, people are like, oh, it's so wrong that you stole something. And you're like, no, it's OK, guys. I know I stole something, but I stole it from a baby. Like that's not going to like help your case. It's gonna make it worse like like that adds to the level of the depravity of what you've done like it's only gonna make people more angry that you stole it from a baby um it, right, it's bad enough that you stole but to have stolen from a baby although it's worse. easier right right although it's easier right like, <laughs> like stealing like, candy from me <laughs> you're not you're not gonna like get any kind of like you're not gonna get out of trouble for having like adding this extra layer to it like it's only gonna make it worse for you and so for Mary to say, oh, guys, it's okay. I'm, it's not a scandal. I'm pregnant with God. Like, would have just, like, it would not have um, done what Richard Dawkins or some of these other popular atheists are suggesting. It would have, um, would have made it, like, ten times worse for her. Like, then it's, then it's blasphemy on a whole nother level. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, claiming to be God is what got Jesus killed. So... Um, we read in John 10 when the, there's this angry mob that's ready to stone him. And they say, we're stoning you not because you're doing good things. We see the good things you're doing. We're stoning you because you claim to be God. And that's blasphemy. Um, and so the same, if the same was true for a, a Jewish male, it would have, how much more true would that have been for a teenage girl um, in this religious culture that they were in um, who would have had no rights, had no um like legal representation had nothing like for her to come out and say, I'm pregnant with God would have been just, it would have been a death sentence for her. And so there's, there's, there's no way that that would have even been something on her radar. So the second piece to that is, well, then did, did the church sort of retroactively go back and say, we need a little bit more credibility to this whole Jesus thing in order to convince people to follow us. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I just need to get this off of mine because I keep thinking about it. stealing candy from a baby. I never understood that because have you seen kids? They have a really tight grip. Oh, my daughter won't let me take anything from yeah, her. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> who thought that was a good idea my, for a saying. Like my, stealing candy. They, they scream. Everybody's going to get alerted. They have yeah. a tight grip. Like it's easier to steal out of my friend's like coat pocket or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
So don't Sorry. steal from a baby. Steal from your friend's coat pocket. Is that what you're suggesting? I'm just if saying, you're going like, to steal something. Yeah, I mean, you're yeah. more likely going to get oh, it. My, my one-year-old daughter, like my wife and I know, like if if there's going to be something she wants that we're going to eventually have to take away from her, like it's better to just not show her at all because once it's in the once it's in the grip. Like, oh yeah, it doesn't. You're never getting it surrendered. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, yeah. Yeah. Well, also, thanks for, just, thanks just for don't that. steal candy from anyone, but yeah. <laughs> but especially from, from babies. babies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gonna get caught. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I think about what uh, the credibility and just making these claims, um, I think retroactively, if we're gonna compare the two arguments and just say, okay. Like, if we're just assuming for a second that, like, okay, they made it up, is it better, is it more likely that it was made up beforehand or afterwards? Yeah. And I think you at least have, I don't think it's still a good argument, but at least have a better argument, I think, if it was made up retroactively culture-wise because of the shift from Christianity from mostly a Near Eastern cultural perspective, like, all around the Levant, you know, which is mm-hmm. is Israel, Lebanon, Jordan area, and Syria, and moving it into Europe, right? Where they're not going to have that same Judea, you know, the right. like the cultural background, yeah. background yeah. that's going to be like making that seems as taboo in the same exact mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but there you have a problem because of the historicity, like all of the New Testament the writings, not just like it being passed down before it was written or whatever. I mean, and, and you have apostles who wrote, you know, right. that or right. dictated it to someone who was writing. Regardless, that was all written before 100 AD. I mean, even Revelation was. So right. that was before it really got like, really ingrained in most of Europe. So they would have had to retroactively add those stories in to those gospels later, which doesn't make any sense because there's no evidence in the text that the, the virgin birth parts were like added in later or anything like that. I mean, it, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense that, and especially if they were going to go back and add anything to like add that, mm-hmm. I don't think, especially in Europe would have added any value mm-hmm. yeah. to like the claim, right? you know, like that, that's not something they would have been looking for. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. in Jewish prophecy, that was something that was said by Isaiah. And mm-hmm. granted there was a fulfillment in Isaiah's time because yeah. he's like, look, this yeah. virgin over here will give birth, you know, yeah. like whatever before. And there's debate as to whether when he's saying it in the moment, Isaiah is like, is just this young maiden? Mm-hmm. Is it a virgin? Mm-hmm. But regardless, the, the setup for it, for Mary doing this and for God doing this is there right. in Hebrew. And so, her claim, yes, would have been to say that she was holding the Son of God, especially in the time that she lived in, would have been yeah, not not a right. good thing to right. say. Like you wouldn't have wanted to make that claim, right? Um, especially if you weren't trying to draw attention to yourself, right? Like that's definitely going to get the high priests right. involved, right? And 
or in this case, Herod, you know, right. the king. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. the, the king right. of, of Judah or uh, Idumea. But you get, and what, to me, you get even to the question of, so the question becomes, did they need to, to, to add this claim, to add credibility, oh, to convince yeah. their yeah. followers? And you get, <clears throat> so you really get to the question of, well, first off, um, Christianity in its early stages, like there was no power structure that they were grabbing. Um, mm -hmm. Most of the early mm -hmm. Christians lost their lives, lost property, um, lost their social standing like Joseph. And, and so you ended up in this place where to suggest that the early Christians were doing this as some sort of motivation to gain power. Well, they had no power to, right? So you, until you get um constantine like you don't get christianity being in any favorable position mo in the cultures and the societies in which it was starting to take shape um and so there was no um mo there would have been no motive even to gain power because most of them were losing their lives um, most of the original yeah, disciples lost their lives and so to suggest like oh well they just needed a credibility boost like what kind of credibility boost did you need like it was getting you killed in the first place like it wasn't that you were right it wasn't that like there's all these kind of i think they're just very historically naive stories that you know interpretations of how the church came to be and it was like oh we need more followers and we need to get you know like the churches in the early days were meeting in people's homes often secretively because it was very much um not appropriate like it was very much against the roman empire to claim that jesus not caesar was lord um and at at best, if you were a Roman citizen, you might lose your property or be punished. If you weren't a Roman citizen, didn't have the same rights, you were more likely to be crucified. Um, and so, you know, to, to say that, oh, they needed it to, to gain power. Well, there wasn't any power to be gained. Like it was you were if you were a Christian in the ancient Near East or in, in the ancient Roman world for the first couple of hundred years, like it was more likely you would lose everything like you had everything to lose and nothing to gain from a from a, a, a cultural perspective anyway no i think paul would actually say actually to me all is christ like everything i lose is to gain uh my relationship with christ and um and yet you know i think to to suggest that um this is somehow a power play on the church is to really just have a lack of understanding of of where the early church was um in its beginning days yeah, and so not only yeah would have not been a really a credibility boost per se, but um, I mean if you look through all of the New Testament letters that weren't written to like exclusively to other Jews, yeah, there's no talk about the virgin birth because yeah. that's not what that's not what Paul or Peter or you know John or whoever thought would resonate mm -hmm. with non-Jews mm -hmm. mm. because that has nothing to do with their culture. I mean, when they were, when they were sharing the gospel, when they were going out into the world, like they didn't lead with, mm. Oh, and by the way, Mary was a virgin. So that's why right. all of this is real. That's how we know it's yeah. Like they spoke to the inherent nature of who Christ was. Right. And so adding that wouldn't have done them any favors with right. non-Jews. Like right. it just doesn't. Yeah. Um, but the other part in the culture of the time, so in the Old Testament, 
and not so much into the um, Hellenistic, which the Greek, like the that era of Greek world civilization. The idea, so there's a couple concepts that are important to know. So, son of God, first of all, was sort of already like a loaded term at the time. Yeah. Um, technically, every king in like the ancient world was a a son of God, right? right. So to speak, right? So, and that's a lot of the terminology in the Bible are loan words from the surrounding culture that God right. has repurposed a right. lot of the, yeah. and see, this is where some, a lot of the claims against the Bible and stuff come in because we're like, look at all these terms and names and things that are all from all these other cultures. Oh, they must've just stolen them from the other cultures. Yeah. Well, the terms, yes, the yeah. language, the culture. Yeah. But God was yeah. using a people that were in that culture right. to do these things. So he talked to them and spoke to them in terms that they understood. Yeah. yeah. I mean, same was true with the old Testament too. So people are like, there's a lot of the way Genesis is written is similar to this myth in Canaan yeah. culture, Canaanite culture or in the Egyptian culture. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to talk sometime with you about how the fact that the whole seven day creation story almost mirrors the Egyptian and mm -hmm. some of the other Near Eastern creation yeah. stories in the terminology and yeah. the, the the separation of the days that and that really kind of thing. Discussion to have, yeah, yeah, and so <clears throat> you know, I, I guess some for some, if you're not like looking deep enough in it, and on the service that'll sound like really like, oh no, what do you mean? Like they're the same? Like yeah, so then you, not, you go into oh, they're just the same as all the other ones then. So. Or yeah, like what? Wait, ours isn't unique? Like mm -hmm. wait, but you get into it more and you realize like really what God's doing and you're like, Oh man, that's how I feel. Oh, it's like, man, I'm overwhelmed with the yeah. like, beauty that God would. And we just finished the book in Leviticus and the same thing. So many of those customs in Leviticus, archeology span is showing us like a lot of the other ancient cultures had similar customs. Um, and yet what God's doing is he's taking these things that the people understand and he's giving this a slight, slight twist to them to help them understand who he is. And so to me, I get overwhelmed with I, just the amount of love that God has for us, that he's humble enough that he says, I'm going to speak to you in ways that you understand. And why that excites me as a pastor is because I think so much of the time we think we've got to change before we can go to God. Mm -hmm. And never do we realize actually God sometimes changes so that he can come to us, right? Not, well, I'm not saying changes who he is, but changes the way that he relates. Right. Yeah, yeah. Changes the way that, um, so, that we, so that he can meet us where we are at. Um, and I just, I think if, if more of us realize that it would really set us free spiritually from some of the self-condemnation and, um, I don't know, fear and apprehension that surrounds our spiritual lives and engaging with God.
which is a perfect segue into the incarnation and why it was such a scandal that Jesus came as a baby. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah, is part of that. this whole thing. So another reason why it would not be good to make the claim that not only that you were a virgin and had God's child, but that now God was a child. Mm, mm, yeah. They would have been like, um, God would, God's a baby. You wouldn't dare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. Don't you dare. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been, <laughs> excuse me. Um, insulting almost for them to be like, wait, God's a baby. That, yeah. So I, yeah. that the King was the closest thing to God or the, the image of God. And there's, yeah. there's another thing that was long yeah. from the, like the, yeah. the King was the image of whatever God in their they, culture they yeah. worshiped. And so you, you have this refined, sophisticated, powerful adult figure always. I mean, like right. so many times their God is imaged with like a beard and, right. and you know, all this stuff. And, and that's where Christian iconography gets right. these images for God. Like, you know, in the right. Italian paintings, he's always got a beard and stuff because right. typically that's how you imagine right. your God to be. He's very old and wise. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and when this idea that Jesus would, or that God would come as this helpless, uh, nasty, pooping, crying yeah. baby yeah. that, would you know breastfeed and do all these things that were just like would like right. make their minds explode as to like the right. un like what's the right unbefitting word? yeah unbefittingness yeah. of a king to do right of a god to do right would have been like i'm not gonna worship right right a child right. like no though no, no there's no way god would come as a child right and so we're looking back with so many of these concepts we're looking back 2000 years later through a bunch of culture that has been influenced by Christianity, right. by Judaism, by the virgin birth, by the incarnation. Right. And we think, oh, that was an old concept right. because to us, it is an old concept. Right. But that was not an it old was, concept at the time. It was a life-changing concept. Yeah. Like that, that was not a thing right. that God would ever do right. or did or whatever. Right. Much like God wouldn't come down in a human form other than through a king. And that was still sort of like different culture, culture, much less like as a full human that walked and lived and right. did all the things among us. I mean, right. that's, it's just an incredible idea to do. And to say that, to try to make that claim, first of all, you have a hard time thinking that anyone is going to believe you. Right. And then right. if they do believe you accepting it. Right. Is a whole nother Big, thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but just look how much, even throughout Jesus's life, once he was an adult, people had a hard time. Right. Accepting him like yeah. much less as a child. Right? right. And so, yeah, I would just say that like really these arguments, they don't add up. I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to believe or you're not going to believe. Right. But the eyewitnesses and the people who were there and the people who were most affected by Jesus, who had access to Mary, you know, to right. his family and friends, like they all attest to this. Right. Yeah. 
And that would have been a danger for them at the mm-hmm. time. Like mm-hmm. you said, they, these people lost their lives mm-hmm. over this stuff. It's not like they were put in a place of honor. Mary being the son or the, the mother of God, you know, that right. title, right? Like she was never elevated in society because of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, <laughs> when Jesus comes back to town in Nazareth, like when he's on his ministry, yeah, yeah, like yeah. his whole <laughs> family tries to like distance themselves right and then from they him go, yeah he's like talking to everybody and then they even go in and try to get him and like bring him out and they're like wait aren't you mary joseph's kid yeah like wait we know you you're yeah. from here you were a boy you grew up here like yeah. you ran yeah. around these streets like yeah i'm not gonna believe in you yeah. yeah and he's like are they really my family everybody you know he's like yeah. he's trying to he's trying to break these but the point is like that was not helping Right. His case with most Israelites. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. And so let's talk about Jesus's family a little bit. So particularly this week, we're talking about Joseph. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Joseph is Jesus's earthly father, mm-hmm. um, who's a son of David and is a righteous man. And so there's, there's, there's something here about the humanness of Jesus, and then we'll, we'll move into you know Jesus being the Son of Man. Um, but there's something beautiful about the humanness of this um, story. That that so you you mentioned. I'm really glad you brought up that you know in the ancient world they really wrestled with this idea that God would become flesh and have to do all of the things that fleshly humans like. They just they had a very low view of of the flesh. They had a very low view of being human. Um, even a lot of the ancient myths and cultures, like humans were sort of degraded to the point of having to work the earth because it was dun- it was dungy and dirty and 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 all of that. Um, and so this idea that Jesus would become man um, was much less was, than a trough, <laughs> right? <laughs> is is already to to really be wrestled with. But I think us in our our modern culture, like we still downplay the humanness of Jesus sometimes mm-hmm. um, at the expense, I think, of missing some of the beauty here. So one of the one of the things that was brought to my attention that I was doing r- work on understanding Joseph just from a cultural perspective and from a background um, was how Jesus being fully human needed human parents to raise him, to teach him how um, to live, like the right thing to do. And and so it's interesting because you see, I actually think you see the mark of Jesus's pa- earthly parents on him and his ministry. So um, even take, for example, the the situation of, of Jesus, or, or I'm sorry, of, of Mary getting pregnant and Joseph decides, I'm not going to shame her publicly. I'm not going to condemn her publicly. I want to do this quietly. I'm trying to protect her. Um, and so he, in this moment, has compassion on this woman who's in this vulnerable position. And how many times in Jesus's life did you see him have a similar, um, a similar approach? So I think of, of John 8 and the woman who gets caught in adultery and they bring her to Jesus. Um, and Jesus's words to her are, I don't condemn you. And I often reflect on how he must have heard how his fa- earthly father, how Joseph, had done the same thing with Mary. Instead of taking her publicly and condemning her, he didn't. He had mercy, he had grace, he had compassion on her. And and so for Jesus to to say, to look at that woman who's caught in adultery and say, where did your accusers go? And she says, they've all left. And he and he looks at her and says, and neither do I condemn you. Um, it's it's worth just kind of reflecting or even meditating on is is some of what jo- is some of what Jesus learned from Joseph. 
um, reflected in that? Yeah, I, I think we'd definitely be limiting ourselves, understanding this concept of Jesus as a human. If we don't rem if we don't think about the fact that he had likes and dislikes and a personality right. that were shaped by his parents. Right. I mean, Jesus was, I mean, we hear carpenter almost, you could, I've heard a different just, you know, describe different ways, but it's almost, almost like as a construction worker yeah. in a sense that like they, they built not just like furniture, but right. like buildings right. and, right. you know, they, he had skills that he learned. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he didn't like, he's just because he's God doesn't mean he suddenly knew how to handle a, a square, you know, right. and a, yeah, like a, 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 a yeah. ruler or whatever. Right. right? Like right. it's, he learned those things. Right. The way he might have said, I do not condemn you, might have been a, like the way his father said right. it. Like right. the the character and everything and his his mind and his soul, all of the source was in God, but the human expression of it was yeah. very much yeah. Yeah, from his yeah. his family. And so those ways would have been imparted on him. And I Joseph, so going back to you know, talking about this decision Joseph had to make. Yeah. I really, you really, I, I really see this. I mean, I, I, I didn't see it myself. I was shown it. But when you get to the Sermon on the Mount, also in Matthew, yeah. when Jesus is going through talking about, so you've been told this, so right. you've heard it said. Right. And with all these things, he's taking things that the Pharisees and the, 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 the religious experts at the time. Yeah their interpretation of the law, right. their application of the law would have been. Right. And he's like, but I say, he's taking that same preconceived notion about what would have been right and saying, oh, this is what really right, what is really going on behind it. And he brings up the adultery thing. And one of the lines he says about, you know, they had an exception that in adultery, you could write a certificate of divorce. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had a professor tell me, and I, I think I can see it, that this is specifically linking back to the decision Joseph had to make mm. and how Joseph was ironically, you know, to, to the culture more righteous by making the decision he did right? because he understood the heart of what was behind it. Yeah. And yeah. so... <clears throat> he would have lost maybe this title or this respect in the community, right. but he's really actually trying to think deeply and get to right. what is God's, what is God's heart right. in this, right. right? Like what is the intention and point of what this law was supposed to do? Right. Was it made to out and shame and, right. you know, do all these things to people or was it meant mm. to, take things that were normally destructive uh, to society and would bring disunity and make sure they're gone. Right. And in his case, you know, he had to make a decision and it's not as cut and dry as the Pharisees were making it right. to always do just this exact thing without even thinking right. about it. Right. And so you really see Joseph being 
what the Pharisees should have been in that decision making. And not to say Joseph was without sin or anything sure, like that. Yeah, like we're not but, yeah. But he there's a reason why, you know, God chose Joseph and Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they had the right, you know, like David, there's a man after God's own heart. And they were they were people who who honestly sought out what God's heart was. It was yeah. like Okay, I messed up, but God, I want to return to you and I want to I want right. to know you more. Right. I want to figure out more of your character and who you are right. Right. and get to know you more. And so you see this in the Joseph contemplated these things or yeah. whatever. And yeah. I think it's telling where it says while he was thinking on or contemplating or whatever these things, he had a dream. Okay. Do you have dreams in the middle of the day? Right. He was thinking these things over days. Right. Yeah. 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 Like this wasn't something he just like thought about for five minutes. Like, should I do this? Or should I, he probably yeah, like, like, he was probably ahead. having like sleepless nights, like yeah. restless, like the woman that he had committed his whole like life to right. now. I mean, like these betrothals, these engagements weren't like, yeah, I mean, they were, they're you know, very like serious. serious. And it yeah. Was like considered a, a graver. I mean, it was basically already yeah. marriage before marriage. Yeah. And it was considered a graver sin, by the way, to actually be unfaithful in the engagement period. Um, right. Like, that's just how serious they took it. Yeah. So, I mean, and so he would have, I mean, like, he would have really wrestled yeah. through this and taken time to think right. about it, uh, prayed mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we don't see that, but. I don't think, I think that he's I, telling us that, but yeah, we don't see it. But yeah, you're right. yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't see it literally right. in the text that right. You, right. Joseph prayed. Right. But I mean, when the angel arrives, I don't think that Joseph would have been. Um, like sort of caught surprised in a sense that. Uh, okay. This isn't even something like I was like, I, it's like, it's not like he already had his mind like right made up from the get go about something like the angel would have been, I think the angel's response would have been a huge relief to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine because he probably mm-hmm. wanted to not, I mean, he, he, yeah, he would have been very caught up between his work life and his Mm -hmm. personal life, right? His Mm -hmm. sense of professionalism, his sense of doing the right thing and having that compassion, that care. I mean, I think this gets into a a much, I think to help relate people and just how much of attention this would have been. I mean, think how much division we have in this country over the right way to handle things. Mm. There's people who, really want to just handle like law enforcement and rules aren't you know rule of law right by the letter of the law right and you see this a lot of times with drug abuse mm-hmm. do you throw everybody who uses drugs in jail or do you do a rehabilitation program right where you don't throw them in jail but you try to help them get off the drugs right and it's never just an easy answer to right. make one way or the other yeah there's there's going to be conflict involved no matter what Right. Um, but in this and in the way that you would have been trying to interpret the law of whatever you would have been trying to find, okay, like what is the character of God in what way can I make decisions that best 
I think reflects the heart and intent and will of God yeah. and this decision. And yeah. Um, yeah. that's the kind of thing Joseph would have yeah. been struggling with. Do yeah. I, do I carry out the rule of law and this or, or this other decision? I mean, neither seemed like a terribly like great decision to make, but right. he had to do it. Right. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so glad that you said it. I love that you said it that way because, um, you know, I, I think that, um, especially in the Bible Belt, you see a lot of um, fundamental Christianity kind of take the shape of um, of it almost becoming this rule book. And the Bible is like, um, you know, this thing that we can turn to and instantly get all of the answers that we want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so one of the things that makes me just cringe as a pastor um, is whenever I hear somebody say, the Bible clearly says... Um, and usually people use that term, the Bible clearly says when they're wanting to, um, ostracize some like group of people or they're, they're wanting to like push their own agenda. The well, that's Bible clearly says, honestly, there's not very much the Bible really ever clearly says. Like it takes a lot of, I mean, it takes a lot of wrestling and discernment and wisdom oh, yeah, and praying yeah. and listening to the Holy spirit. Like, um, I feel like even Peter acknowledges that when Paul writes most of his letters, he's like, you know, like, I know you guys find a lot of it really difficult, um, but where this really, really... Yeah, I love the humanness in that. Yeah, yeah. It's this... like, even I have some hard, <laughs> hard time understanding him sometimes. <laughs> this guy, jeez. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but I think that, like, I think that we do ourselves a disservice when we just say, well, it's very clear the Bible is very clear on this issue. Usually when we're saying that, we're just trying to like shame someone who doesn't hold our own perspective on an issue. Um, I do think there are some things the Bible's very Oh, you're feeling on. insecure about it and we right. just want to feel more confident. Right. And so when you say, well, it's very clear, well, it kind of takes the, the whole discussion out of it, right? So, of course, there are some things I think the Bible is very clear on. One, that God is good, right? God is light. Like there's no I – just, I just – I don't think there's any way that you can really question that when you read scripture. But um, I – I do, I do think that like, and I learned this when I was, when I was really studying the wisdom literature. So, um, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, these old Testament books is that oftentimes in those three books, even they say contradictory things to one another, you know? Um, and, and you're like, well, wait a second. How is, how does it in Proverbs say that? Like, if you trust God all, you know, and he'll bless your ways and everything will work mm-hmm. out. And then you've got Job over here who did that and nothing worked out the way he wanted. Um, and I think it's because there's tension between the way those books are written so that we have to go to God and wrestle like Joseph is doing and listen to his spirit um, and can't just like sort of flip it open and be like, oh, here it clearly says what the answer is. Like there are so many situations in life where that's where that's not the case. And I think that's what happens um, and what a lot of the, the religious leaders in Jesus' time were doing is they had turned scripture into the substitute for going to the heart of God and having this relationship with God and listening to God and what is God, what is God's heart in this situation? Um, and that's why Jesus tells them, "Look, you look to the Scriptures because you think they have in them you have life, but they point to me. I'm the life that that they they are pointing towards, and you keep going to them because you're using that as a rule book or you're using it as a weapon. Um, and this isn't always the case, but I do I do think that." Um, for a lot of Christians I, I meet in the Bible Belt, I think they have substituted following the rules of the Bible for having a relationship with God in ways that I just don't think the text was ever meant to do. 
Because um, even if you spend, a, there are times that even in Proverbs where it will say contradictory things, sometimes within the same chapter. Um, and it's wanting us, and, that's, and it's because it's not just giving us this blank rule book of like, ah, now I know exactly what to do in all these situations. But what it's trying to help us do is that, help us to understand that the, like the complexities of navigating life um, require a relationship with God. They require us being in tune with God's heart, listening to who God is, like knowing his character, and then trying to understand how that relates to the particular situations that we are in. And that's what I see Joseph doing here. Um, and, you know, and that's ultimately what, what I think, um, you know, I, I like how you, you say like he picked Mary and Joseph for a reason. You see Joseph, who is this highly influential, highly respected religious person who would have known the law very well, ultimately give up a lot of that, that privilege and that position of certainty um, in an act of humility to protect Mary. Um, and, and you see in this act of humility, Joseph opens himself up to what God is actually doing in this moment. Yeah. Uh, I think of, you know, it's, it's just kind of funny when once the biblical stories are sort of set, you know, and we read back at them, it's funny. We're perfectly fine when characters like David break what was the preconceived notion of what the law meant at the time, but actually be in God's favor. Like when he ate the showbread, right. right, You know, to survive. Yeah. And they're like, you can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, was this not made for us? Yeah. And it's like, that's it right there. And, but yet we'll like, we'll read these stories and then walk away and be like, yeah. you can't break anything. You know, like you right. can't like, right. you can't adapt. You can't change. I mean, you mentioned Proverbs. I mean, there's other times in the law where it's talking about like for Passover, you know, boil the, the goat in, in milk. Okay. And then other times it's like, don't boil it, roast it. Like, right. You know, it's like, am I boiling or roasting? You know, like, which one am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's because it had context. Right. You can't take these things out of, I mean, I, I harp on this to the day I die, but it's yeah. like, it's context, 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 like right. in everything we do. I mean, that's the whole reason why in our culture nowadays, sound bites are so frustrating and annoying because there's no context to them. Right. You can't take right. what a clip of what someone says right. and say, that's what they meant. It clearly says right. that that's what they meant. It's right. like, okay, well, but do you know the context of that? Right. Right. And it's like, Okay, because it totally changes what that means. Right. And so that's a huge thing with the Bible. Yeah. Both for Christians and non Christians is Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Clearly doesn't always mean clearly, you know, like isn't always so clear. (laughs) Right. Uh so yeah, that it wouldn't the thing is like with God, it wouldn't have been a scandal for Joseph to apply the law right. differently, just like right. it wasn't a scandal right. for Paul to interpret um, the sending Hagar away as symbolism mm. for, you know, these other things that weren't interpreted that way before. Right. Because there was a more, there was a bit more fluidity and openness to how, things can be understood. It doesn't change the original meaning. Sure. But right. there's different ways that you can interpret and uh, imply that that take the same meaning but can link it to other things. Otherwise, wh- why would you be doing what you're doing now? Right. If the Bible was so clear and applicable and all yeah. these things, like yeah. why would we need pastors right. to help give us 
insights they gain from reading and from God as to help us know what does this mean for us now. Right. And so that wasn't, that's not a scandalous thing to do. Yeah. You have to be careful and you have to know what you're doing and we're all going to get it wrong at some point. Right. Just like Joseph, I mean, times got stuff wrong. Perfect. But it's not like, but he understood God's heart. Yeah. He understood. At least he was trying. Yeah. And he understood that it wasn't so black and white, which yes, is why he's yeah. pondering these things. Like, and I love you bring this up that it was probably over a long, extended period of time. Like, it's not like he just was like, "Oh, well, I know exactly what to do in this situation." Like, he's he he knows that God's heart is to have mercy and compassion on people who are trapped in the the systems of their day, whether they are unjust, whether just or unjust. There's a fly in here. <laughs> I used to whenever I see flies, I used to think of the ring. Now I just think of the, the you know, ring? yeah, isn't that, that's the ring. It's the horror movie. We're like, yeah, I mean, I've seen the ring, but what is the fly? There was a fly that always shows up. Oh, right before something bad yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. But now I just, it's okay. There was a squirrel running across the fence earlier that I was like, <laughs> <laughs> while you were talking squirrel. and I was just like, <laughs> squirrel, <laughs> yeah. like the dog from up. Squirrel. Yeah. I was, I was tempted to like say that, but you were, you were on a roll. So I was, yeah. And it was really funny too. Cause it like stopped and looking had a big acorn in his mouth and it was just like <laughs> looking at each other. He's probably looking for Indy. So whenever she sees it running, you, you probably, the camera's probably can't see it, but there's a fence right by our window and my little one year old, there's, there's a squirrel that runs along it. She loves it and she'll chase it inside the house. So he was probably looking to see, he's like, where's that little human? Um, Um, but yeah, so man, such a good discussion. So let's, let's, as we get ready to wrap, let's, let's jump into son of man, son of David a little bit. So in, in this passage in Matthew that we are in, in the dream, the angel has, um, and then in the dream that Joseph has, um, there is an intentional, the angel is intentional as addressing Joseph as the son of David. Um, and then later on, Jesus often addresses himself as the son of man. Um, where did we get these ter- two terms? Um, and what is that? How does that help us understand? I don't know, just our understanding of the incarnation and this Jesus who has two natures, one human, one God. Um, right? Like there's just so many different things in these terms. So what, what do we, where do we start to unpack those? Well, you're going to want to start in Genesis. <laughs> no, but, but really the be a whole, really long podcast. We're already at an hour the, and seven. The, <laughs> the reason why all those really, you know, quote, boring, unquote, uh, um, lineages, those, uh, the, the names like so-and-so begot so-and-so and they right. got so-and-so these, these, um, why am I blanking on the term for that? 
uh, list of your ancestry. What is that? Genealogy. Genealogy. Yeah. Genesis. That's genealogy. <laughs> oh boy. Um, those are there because they're trying to. I'm gonna go back to the priesthood thing. We'll go back to the the who the image the minister the the ruler through man that God had set on earth to mm. bring His rule to creation. It's all linked here, right? Like you can't. Like, I feel like you know, like he's like drawing on a board all the little lines, you know, between right. the pins and stuff, need, like looking crazily at the camera, like yeah. <laughs> we need like, to get one for here, like a like big dry erase board. Or the something. Bible is full of that yeah. like all these like connections because you these lineages are trying to show you god's and again i i get people can disagree on this but i don't think that each of those names from genesis on are literally listing every single person that was ever right born from those people right there was a book i I had from school called a uh, kingdom of priests, yeah. which is like a really, really dense, like really good in depth. Look at the whole like history, historicity, yeah, dating, yeah. all that kind of yeah. stuff of uh, of the Bible. And one of the things it talks about is those, <clears throat> those genealogies and how it might be more of like sort of a dynastic name that's mentioned. So like, Oh, so-and-so begot, uh, you know, like Lamech or whatever, like right. that might've been the like dynasty of Lamech. Of Lamech. Mm -hmm. And so they're supposed to, I wouldn't say they're like titles, but you can almost look at it like, okay, this was the reign or this was the, this was the time of this being the, the person or the group that God was pushing his, that, that had his people out in the world, so to speak. Right. And so even before God chose Israel, his word and who he was, was still going out through yeah. people <laughs> in Genesis. You have these, these lineages, um, these sort of, um, heads of the, the sort of, um, people of God as, a, as you're moving towards and you get to right. Noah and you go on. And so when you get to the actual Kings in the Bible, you have Saul and then David right. and then Solomon there, this sometimes referred to as federal headship. Yeah. These people that are mentioned in this lineage from Genesis to David and then right. David to Jesus are all sort of placeholders for this title of right. son of God, right? Son of, you know, it's the representative of God on earth. Right. And so in that way, it's similar to the other cultures, but specifically with Israel, Jesus is the one that was always the true holder of that title. Yeah. And so by saying son of David, right. First of all, there was a prophecy yeah. that the king would come from Judah. Right. And then, which is it, the line of David line of, well, yeah. eventually yeah, it becomes the line of David. And then God makes a promise that the one, the true King, the one who would deliver them would come yeah. from him. Right. And so <clears throat> that's why it's important through these lineages, these genealogies to, to do this linking mm. because 
it's showing the legitimacy of how Jesus is linked back to that promise, that fulfillment. Right. And so it's with Joseph, just because he's not genetically linked doesn't make that connection any less right. meaningful. Right. And so because, I mean, God, God, like the way he does, you know, these movement things, like it's not so much about specifically like human genetics. Right. It's about how the like fathership to sonship has passed on. Right. To me, it's the story of the family's lineage, like the heritage and lineage than it is necessarily about like the genetic composition. Right. And so, I mean, with Abraham, you know, like your, your, your seed will, you know, uh, bless the nations. Right. It's like, well, it's, it's sort of both literally through his genealogy, but it's more of, those who have the faith of Abraham, which is what the New Testament will go on to say, is that you're all in Abraham's family because you have the faith the of Abraham. Abraham. Right. And so you already start to see this, this disassociation with just like this pure genetic line kind of thing and what the heart and intent and, and faith was really the right. link right. between all these things. Right. The people that represented God on earth weren't, because of genetics, so you know, so much as it was because of the faith. How could they represent God and be his priest and his right, minister and right. his king on earth if they didn't walk with him, if they didn't right. have faith in him? Right. And so that's why all of those genealogies are there, is mm. to show you this unbroken line of people who had faith, who had this connection with God. Right all the way through and now Jesus is going to take up that mantle as the true ruler, the true image, the true son of God mm. that will finally be what Adam wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. What Adam and Eve failed to yeah. be as those ministers, as, as those, those priests, priests. Yeah. Jesus will fulfill. I mean, that's brought up that he is the second Adam, mm -hmm. the the new Adam, the one that you know will succeed where he failed. Mm. And so in Daniel, you see this image. It's called, I saw someone like the son of man ascending up into the heavens and he took his seat next to the ancient of days. Mm. The ancient of days is the father. Yeah. And this son of man ascending was like, okay, what they didn't really see what Daniel was saying at the time. I think Daniel probably understood it, yeah. but it, and maybe a few others, but this idea, I mean, it's right there. There is a human one, yeah, a son of man. It's yeah. like someone who is born of a man, mm. a human, ascending to the heavens and taking his place next to God. Yeah. You don't, that doesn't happen, right? Like right. they would have been like, well, that can't, right. that can't be right. Right. They wouldn't have seen it that way because they were already excluded that possibility from their minds. Yeah. And so that's why a lot of people didn't, understand Christ when he first came because they had already mm, excluded yeah. all of these possibilities right. even when God had been telling them right. of this. Right. And that's why as Christians it's it's hard if not you know not reasonable to not see Christ yeah retroactively in these prophecies. Right. Because I mean some saw it uh, uh what uh, Nathaniel you know when mm -hmm. yeah. like right like Oh, you, 
he he recognized right, who right. Jesus was and he right, got it. Right. You know, John the Baptist, they, they, I mean, they, you know, they had their human doubts and stuff, but right. they recognized what all had been leading up to who Christ is. Right. And so this human one wasn't unprecedented in the prophecy. It was, it was actually told there. And so Jesus is taking up this title, I think in an effort to emphasize his humanness right. and connect himself with the prophecy from Daniel. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Man, I don't know. Like, I don't know even where to follow up with that other than, <laughs> um, again, like I just, um, it's cool to me to see how, because to me, and this kind of goes back to what we were saying with Joseph, and and the, you have these prophets who are writing these stories, or writing writing these stories, writing these prophecies down of, of of this coming one, this anointed one, as Isaiah will call it. And some of them, I think, had a very clear picture of what they were talking about. I think there were other prophets that, um, when they had started talking about prophecies, they used to think it was just relating to Israel's history and Israel's liberation, particularly from Rome. And then you see, you see all the, or, or Babylon or whatever nation that was currently in control of their, their own culture and their own society. But in the end, you see, um, you see them beginning to have this bigger picture of, wait, maybe this, what God's doing with us and through us is going beyond us. Maybe it's going beyond our own borders, beyond our own national identity. Um, maybe there's something more universal about what God's doing here. And so, again, I think you just see this, and you know, just all throughout scripture, you have this idea or you just see this theme developing of, of this openness to seeing what God is about to do next and how God is about to change um, what you thought he could do and couldn't do and how you thought he would show up and wouldn't show up. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, God redefines all of those things and says, actually, I'm redefining all of these things because this is what love looks like. This is what compassion. Looks yeah. Like. And it's not even really. I mean, yeah, it seems like redefining, but it's he's really. Right. Is sort of realigning. Yeah, realigning is a much better word. Like, that's... It seems to us like redefining. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's... He's he's clarifying or, or giving more perspective that helps us see right. Right. more than what right. was initially just yeah. said. And so yeah. I think that's... This goes to the bigger thing, too, of why God seems to some people as totally different in the Old Testament. Right. Because they're not seeing the links right. and the heart and the character that is unchanged mm. Mm. from the Old right. Testament to the New Testament. Yeah. Just because God has interacted with humans in different ways right. doesn't mean he's a different person. Right. I mean, when I, when you, you know, when you minister to people, you're not going to talk to one person the exact same way as others. It's because right. it's not because you don't love it's because you don't like love one more than the other, or right. you like one more than the other, or, uh, one's a better way, like a more truthful way of saying right. than the other is because, well, people are different right? and you right. have to learn getting to know them and being in a relationship means right. you learn how to best communicate with that person. Right. Right. And so that's, yeah. I mean, that's the condescension, we've talked about this term, but that's the humbling yeah. of God in using human language and human culture yeah. and all these things is because God cares. And right. the incarnation is the, the humbling of humblings, right? right? Yeah. Like he's going to yeah. take on yeah. who humanity is right. to, not because he needed to understand what being a human was, right. but to show really what his heart was, who he is mm. and what... 
I mean, there's so many reasons, like more like reasons. There's so many insights and understandings right. to gain from Christ, the, the Son of God, God as a human. Right. But it it wasn't just for like one cut and clear reason. Yeah. I mean, we have Jesus, and you see this in in theories of um, the cross and the resurrection, like what that actually meant. And the truth really is, well, there's a lot in it. It's packed. Yeah. There's it's mm-hmm. multifaceted. You mm-hmm. can't just have isolate one. Yeah, that. you can't just say, oh, Jesus came to free us from sin. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, of course. And but and yeah. be an example and. <laughs> yeah. So he could relate to us, and you know this, right. and that. And it's so like, we, yeah, so we united with him. Um, yeah, it's like overcome there's, death, and yeah, there's so much to it. Yeah. I mean, and to yeah, the temptation. I mean, Christ was really tempted, yeah. and he would have learned yeah. ways to deal with that from his parents. Right. And so, obviously, he couldn't ever sin just based on his his very nature, right? right. But it's not like it never like affected him. Right. Right. And so you, you see, you see that human side. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we will leave you there. We were at one minute. We were one hour and 23 minutes. in. so whoops, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's okay. I'm sure. Um, y'all are probably ready to do something else, uh, with your day. So anyway, thanks for being here, Bill. Yeah. Also, thanks glad for being to be here. here. Uh, We'll see you guys next week.